This week, I read about an opportunity to serve Christ that might be of interest to you. It's in a place called Denaltrop. They are looking for people who can inspire people to follow Jesus in their community. Uh, Most of the people there do not attend church. Uh, Some of them have a religious background, but uh, uh, they they no longer attend church. Uh, So they have no religious affiliation. Uh, It's a pretty big city with over 2 million people. Uh, They have uh, all kinds of social attractions, restaurants and bars and uh, symphony and opera and plays, uh, everything uh, that you could uh, think of to enjoy uh, socially. Uh, It's a beautiful place. Uh, They have rivers and lakes, the mountains, uh, they have the ocean. Uh, If you are available to go and serve, uh, you can live with a family or you can uh, have a, live in a house uh, on your own. In fact, they're so flexible, you can even stay in your current home and keep your uh, same job. Uh, there are good schools and universities there, public and private, so if you're in school or someone in your family's in school, they can continue their studies. Uh, there are plenty of full and part-time work opportunities. Now, assuming we can work out the details for you, how many of you would maybe be interested in serving. Just slip up your hand. Okay. I got nobody to raise their hand in the first service. Uh, apparently, I didn't sell it so well. Um, Denaltrop is Portland spelled backwards. We are all called, if we've given our lives to Christ, to inspire people to follow Jesus in Portland and wherever we go. Muslims, Buddhists, Sikhs, Hindus, Zoroastrians, people from every kind of religious background have come to the United States. And we have practically all of them represented in Portland. Uh, Jesus has called us to make disciples of all nations, and He has made it more achievable for us by bringing so many people to our country. Go to the University of Oregon, Oregon State, Portland State, Portland Community College, almost any high school, or just look around and you find people from dozens of different national origins, and many of them are open to learning about Jesus. I do not approve what is going on on our southern border, uh, a country that doesn't enforce its laws and uh, you know, ceases to be a country. But I try to see things that are going in our, in, our, in our world through God's eyes, His sovereign will. What is God doing? And one thing I see is that in the last 10 months, people from 160 countries have come across our border. And God is bringing people from all over the world here. And we can inspire them to follow Jesus. The world's future is being decided at this time. There are three main ideologies vying for dominance in our world. They are Islam, atheism, and Christianity. You know that these are the three primary uh, ideologies in our world. Almost all the world's believing Muslims believe that all humankind should be Muslim. 
Now, that shouldn't be surprising to you. Most Bible-believing Christians believe that all people in the world should be Christian. What is troubling is that many of them are using violence to impose their religion on others. That is why one million non-Muslim Sudanese have been killed over the last 20 years by the Islamic government trying to impose their religion from the city of Khartoum. And thousands of Christians have been killed in Afghanistan and North Korea, Somalia, Nigeria, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan. The second ideology seeking to dominate the world is atheism, secularism. We would uh, include with this communism and socialism as practiced in communist countries, Western Europe, and supported by educated elites around the world. Uh, They are as passionate about secularism and socialism as Muslims are about Islam. They, too, want to dominate the world. The third ideology is Christianity. We could call this Judeo-Christianity, which carries with it the values of Judeo-Christianity. The likelihood of these values shaping the future of the world is far from certain. One of these ideologies believes in Allah and that the world's problems will be solved by Islam taking over the world. Another believes there is no God and the world's troubles will be addressed by humans. The third believes that God loves the world so much that He sent His Son into the world to show us who He is and to die for our sins. The third group believes there's only one God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third group believes sin is the main problem in the world, and we can only find forgiveness of sins through God in Christ. The most important thing we can do is not fight against terrorism or battle against secularism, but inspire people to follow Jesus. You cannot presume a new leader or new legislation will solve our problems. Those things are important, but Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. The hope of the world is to inspire people to follow Jesus. Whether you're a teenager, single, married, widowed, divorced, if you've given your life to Christ, you are called to inspire people to follow Jesus. So I want to share three things with you today about inspiring people to follow Jesus. First, hope in Jesus comes by God's grace. Now let me ask you a question. Suppose you come to Portland Community Church and you know nothing about Christ. You don't have a religious background, so you know very little about God. How long do you need to attend here before you can give your life to Christ? Or how many How much of the Bible do you have to read? How much do you have to know before you can become a follower of Jesus? Well, the answer, as you'll see today, is you can give your life to Christ today, the first day you come here. You don't have to earn your way to become good enough to be received by God. You don't have to know a certain amount before you can accept Christ into your life. Because it's all by God's grace. I want to share with you the conversion of someone that was more amped up about inspiring people to follow Jesus than anyone I know. His name is the Apostle Paul. 
Turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Acts 9. If you want to use our Bibles under the seats, it's on page 1100. Before God changed his name to Paul, he was known as Saul. Saul was a one-man wrecking crew trying to destroy the church of Christ. He went from city to city, dragging people out of their homes and businesses, if they followed Jesus, to put them in prison. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria today. It was in that day too. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way was what the early church was called, followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He so hated Christians that he traveled 150 miles east to Damascus to imprison more of them. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. In a flash, Saul grasped from hearing Jesus' voice and the extraordinary way in which he identified with followers of Jesus that to persecute them was to persecute him and that Jesus was alive and had been raised from the dead. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. It did not eat or drink anything. Here's a man who has come to destroy the church. He comes to seek out Christians from house to house, but God stops him in his tracks and blinds him. He is humbled and has to be led into Damascus by the hand. Here's a clear example that salvation comes by God's grace. Saul hated Christians. He despised the church. Why would God be gracious to him? Why would he pursue Saul? Saul did not seek out Christ. Christ found Saul. We can hardly imagine anyone more opposed to Christ. Saul had no interest in becoming a Christian. Yet God intervened and drew Saul to himself. Hasn't this been your experience? You didn't seek out Christ, did you? Didn't he seek out you? Didn't he bring people and experiences into your life that drew you to him? Francis Thompson lived over a century ago in England. In many ways, we could call him a failure. He tried to become a priest, but failed. He tried to become a medical doctor, but failed. Uh, He joined the army, but they kicked him out. He couldn't get along with his parents. So he was out on the streets in London by himself. Within weeks, he'd become addicted to opium. He lived off garbage in the streets and booze. 
He said he was in the pits of squalor. No shirt, he wrote, beneath my tattered coat, bare feet in broken shoes. I was a worthless waif of a man. But beneath this broken man was a person God sought. And God found him through an incredible chain of events. During that time, God aroused with him an amazing poetic ability. And he wrote what many consider the greatest English ode. And that's saying a lot considering writers of odes like Shelley, Milton, Coleridge, and Pope. He called it the Hound of Heaven. It's an unusual uh, poem about God pursuing a person. If you make no claim to faith, see if you identify with Thompson and feel like God is pursuing you. I fled him, fled God, down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. He fled him for years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the mist of tears. I hid from him. He's hiding from God. And under running laughter, he laughed at God, the whole idea. Up-visted hopes I sped from those strong feet that followed, the feet of God followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet, all things betray thee, who betrayest me. Every one of us is loved and sought by God, the hound of heaven. Eighteen centuries before Thompson lived, Saul was running from God just as fast. He was not a vagrant, but a scholar. He was brilliant, but dogmatic and obnoxious. He was a one-man army against Christians. He hated Christians, yet God pursued this arch enemy of Christ until he responded and gave his life to Christ. After his conversion, Saul became the most prolific writer in the Bible. Uh, Historian John Lord wrote of him, after Christ, the Apostle Paul is the colossal figure of the ages. And that's why I'm starting today a new series called Unstuck, How the Apostle Paul Changed the World. If you've been with us in recent weeks, we've been talking, uh, the main character has been the Apostle Peter. Now it switches to the Apostle Paul. Do you wonder why God chose Saul? I mean, why choose the enemy of the church? The answer is Saul was the perfect person prepared by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Saul grew up as a Jew in Tarsus. Tarsus is one of the main cities in the Roman province of Asia, which we know as modern-day Turkey. He grew up in one of the three great university cities of the day, the other being Athens in Greece and Alexandria in Egypt. His university education exposed him, to, exposed him to the leading philosophies of his day, Epicureanism, Stoicism, and trained him in the subtle, rich Greek language. As a Jew, he was trained by the leading Pharisee of the day, Gamaliel. 
and so was knowledgeable in the Hebrew Scriptures. Because he lived in Tarsus, he was a Roman citizen. It was no accident that God chose Saul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Here was a man with a thorough knowledge of Greek language, culture, and philosophy, a man who was a Roman citizen, thoroughly acquainted with its massive global system, and a man with an intimate knowledge of the Old Testament and an ardent devotion to God. Once he met Christ and was filled with the Holy Spirit, he had everything he needed to take the gospel of Christ to the whole world. God carefully prepared him for a specific job. God's still showing grace to people today and preparing them to serve them. He's doing that with you. He's pursuing you. There is no one else in the world quite like you with your parentage, your education, your background and experiences, your spiritual gifts, and God is calling you to a ministry perfectly fitted for Him. Paul is exhibit A for how gracious God is. God forgave all his hatred. He forgave all the people, all the Christians that he put in, in prison and had put to death. Maybe you feel like Francis Thompson or the Apostle Paul. You know that you've sinned against God. God forgives all of your sin and all the bad things you've ever done. That's what Mary Johnson did. Mary is a mother of one son. When he was 20 years old, he went out. He's at a party late one night. People were drinking. And he met a guy named Oshea Israel. And they got into an altercation. And it ended with Oshea pulling out a gun and shooting him twice, killing him. Mary was so angry at the trial, she said, this guy is an animal. He should be put in a cage. And when he was convicted of second-degree murder, she was so angry that that's all he got, that she went, became a recluse. She wouldn't look at her son's picture for 10 years. And then she felt God talking to her, saying, you need to forgive. You need to let it go. And so she called the prison and said, she, could she come and visit O'Shea? They said, yes. But O'Shea said no. And so she called again and again, and finally he said yes. And so the day she went to see him, they hugged each other, and both of them had tears streaming down their faces. And it was such an emotional moment that she became weak and nearly collapsed. He had to hold her up. That day, she not only got rid of all the bitterness and unforgiveness in her heart, but she received a son. She called him her spiritual son. Seven years later, when he was uh, released from prison on parole, he had no place to go. And so she said, you can live in the house next to me. And they became great friends, and they began a ministry together called From Death to Life to help to bring together victims and those who hurt them. And they go around the United States talking to schools and conferences. Mary showed O'Shea grace. 
and God offers you grace. Will you accept it today and invite Christ into your life? Two, hope in Jesus increases when everyone in the church seeks to inspire people to follow Jesus. God asked Saul to stop persecuting followers of Jesus and start telling people about Jesus. Immediately, he began to talk about Jesus. Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. But Barnabas, so then he went to Jerusalem. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles in Jerusalem. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Paul went right out and began to speak fearlessly about Christ. God calls you to do the same. If you've given your life to Jesus, He calls you to inspire people to follow Jesus. People in your family, people where you work, people in your neighborhood, your friends, your classmates. The Apostle Paul tells us, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. Thirty years ago, my wife began a ministry to orphans. It began after we had adopted our daughter, Drea, from Romania. Jory was adopted as an orphan as a child. She graduated from college with a degree in sociology, which is what you need to head up an adoption agency. She knew the church is called to care for orphans. God prepared her for this work, so she began. She was able to see a thousand children be adopted into homes. And who knows how many of them are now followers of Jesus. Likewise, God is preparing you to serve Him in some way. In what way has He called you to inspire people to follow Jesus? Third, hope in Jesus increases when the church works as a team to inspire people to follow Jesus. Paul did not come to Christ on his own. Many believers helped him along the way. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Straight Street is the main street then and still today going east-west through Damascus. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Imagine what must have been going through Ananias' mind. He says, Ananias, get up. Okay. Go to Straight Street. Fine. Go to the house of Judas. Check. To a man of Tarsus named Saul. 
thinks, Lord, you have just made your first mistake. This guy has come to put Christians in prison. If I go to him, it's like I'm signing my death certificate. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, he called him his brother in the faith. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Ananias told Saul how he could give his life to Christ and welcomed him into the church. Later in the chapter, we read that Saul was out telling Jewish people that Jesus is the Son of God, and the Jews became so angry that they made a plan to kill him. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Then Paul went to Jerusalem. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't trust that he really had changed, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Ananias, Barnabas, and other believers worked as a team to help Paul. We're encouraged when we work as a team. When Henry Ford dreamed to build a car with an engine, everyone told him it wouldn't work. His friends said, you're crazy. And who's going to want to buy a car with a loud engine in it? He was discouraged and about to give up when he went to a dinner where Thomas Edison was in attendance. And he was introduced to Edison as the man who wants to build a car run by gasoline. And Edison started peppering him with questions. How are you going to do this, that? And when he got done, Edison slammed his fist on the table and he says, you got it. Building a car with its own power plant. It's brilliant. And Ford said, Edison's encouragement helped him continue on. Ananias provided Paul with that same encouragement. Once Ananias recognized that God was really asking him to go to Saul and that Saul had really met God, he went and he called him Brother Saul and he led him to faith in Christ. Luke concludes this account with another one of his famous summary statements. Although people opposed Paul, the church grew. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. The Apostle Paul's spiritual 180 should persuade us to expect more from God with new believers. There are many souls of Tarsus in the world. There are many souls of Tarsus living in Portland. 
Like Paul, they are far from God, but they're not beyond God's grace. We need more faith, more expectation to pray for them and expect that God will bring them to Christ. There are people in your life, maybe it's your husband or your wife, you say, he has no interest in God. Or maybe it's your brother or sister, you say, they won't budge. Or maybe it's a friend who says, you're crazy for your faith in Christ. It's just silly. Are they worse than Saul? Not a chance. Christ calls us all to inspire people to follow Jesus. The hope of the world is to inspire people to follow Jesus. So if you'd like to inspire people to follow Jesus, would you raise your hand? I did much better this time. Father God, thank you for this story of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. He went from anti-God, anti-Christ, to becoming a follower of Jesus. And it gives us hope for the people in our families and our friends and where we work and our schools that seem so uninterested in Jesus that you can draw them to faith as well. If you want to tell God right now that you have renewed hope for the people in your life that don't seem to want to know uh, Christ, tell Him that, that you'll continue to pray for them and love them and share with them. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you can do it right now. Tell Him you believe He's the Son of God. He was raised from the dead, and you want Him to come, forgive your sin, and come into your life. You pray. Father, thank you for drawing the Apostle Paul to follow you and drawing us to follow you and people in our lives that we know. Your grace is available to everyone in this world. In Jesus' name we pray.